We're going to be in Judges 2 and 6 today, so if you want to find your way there, that's where we're going to be. As a father of daughters, uh, I watch movies with my girls that I wouldn't watch normally. One of them was, back in the day, I don't particularly do that anymore, but back in the day, one of the ones my girls really enjoyed was uh, a movie called Princess Diaries. Now, if you've not seen this, let me set it up for you. We're going to show a clip, but... There's this young woman, teenage girl, who lives with her single mother uh, in San Francisco, and she discovers that her father, who she's never known, uh, was the prince of a town or a, a country called Genovia. And so this particular scene is this young lady discovering that... Uh, this is her grandmother who's telling her, who was the queen of Genovia, who's telling her that she is a princess... This will make a connection to our story today, and I'll, I'll, I'll draw it together in just a minute. But watch this clip, because it's kind of cute. Okay, so today we're going to look at a guy named Gideon, and his ambition in life was to be invisible, and he was good at it. So if you make your way over to uh, Judges 2, we're in this really interesting series called Fuzzy Math, uh, when what God does doesn't make sense. And God picking uh, Gideon to be a leader didn't make any sense. We're going to see that in just a second. Now, you got to have uh, an understanding of the background. Okay, so... Uh, we're in the Old Testament. Uh, much of the Old Testament centers around things like uh, Israel being rescued out of Egypt. And you'll recall Moses uh, led the people out of Egypt, and then they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And then there was a, a new leader, and his name was Joshua, and Joshua helped them get into the Promised Land. And they began to conquer and have success. And so there's this time between 
um, uh, Joshua and the kings where there was this cycle of uh, events that happened over and over in the life of the Israelites. And I'll explain it in just a second. Oh, sorry, I need to go back. Um, after that generation died, this generation with Joshua as the leader, uh, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. Now, <laughs> would your expectation be, the next verse would say, but they still followed God closely and worshipped him with all of their beings. Yeah, that, if you, that's your inclination, you're wrong. Uh, look at what happens, because this happened over and over and over in the life of Israel. They, they have success, and then this happens. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They abandoned the Lord. What a great word, abandoned the Lord. The God of their ancestors who brought them out of Egypt, they went after other gods. And this is this vicious cycle that happened the book of Judges is about 12 different judges. These kind of, they're not quite kings, but they're not quite warriors. They sort of lead. They're just sort of presidents, if you will. And there's a series of 12 generations of people who, this is the cycle. We have success. We abandon God. Bad things happen. We repent. God saves us. We have success. We abandon God. It happens over and over and over again. And you can imagine, you know what it feels like to be unappreciated. I mean, we've all felt unappreciated. When you're driving and you, you are a Christian, and so you drive, you have a little fish on the, your car, and so uh, you have a way you want to drive, and so maybe that's why you don't have a fish on your car. And uh, you have a fish on your car, and you're driving, and it's merging time, and so because you're a great citizen, an American, a true American, you decide that you're going to let somebody merge in front of you. Now, when, when you allow them to merge in front of you out of the goodness of your heart, out of compassion and love, you let them in. There is an expectation that they are going to give you something. What are they going to give you? A wave. Is that too much to ask? A simple wave of acknowledgement, of thanks. What happens to you when you, out of the goodness of your heart, out of your Christian soul, you let them in and you don't get the wave? What do you do? What do you, how do you feel? Do you give them the wave, but a different kind of wave? That's not very Christian. Uh, we, we, we know what it's like to feel unappreciated. Well, well so does God. In fact, look at God's response. This made the Lord burn with anger. So when that happens and they don't wave, you can say, I'm being just like God. Uh, it's righteous indignation. And he burned with anger against Israel. Sure, yours was merging a car. His was saving a nation. But it's almost the same. Uh, so he handed them over to the raiders. And these were uh, really, really bad people. And they stole their possessions. And he let kind of bad things happen to them. It's kind of what happened. And there's consequences to our actions. And their con the consequence for their actions was he allowed them to be raided. And then there's a consequence to the consequence. And that is the people were in great distress. There's a reason parents often use consequence-based punishments. Because they work 
If, you, if, if I'm a kid and my mom says, I can't uh, uh, eat your broccoli or you don't get anything else. All right, so my, my, child, uh, my, my child mind goes, <laughs> Jesse, did you just say I love broccoli? Is that what he just said? <laughs> Jesse loves broccoli, but the rest of it. Um, uh, that was funny. Uh, so uh, my, my child mind goes, okay, I don't like broccoli, but I want something else. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pay the toll here. I'm going to eat the broccoli so I can get something else. Or you say to your kids, uh, you can't uh, have your allowance unless, unless you uh, do your chores. And you say, well, I, I don't really want to do my chores, but I do want an allowance. I, I don't like that negative consequence because I'm going to do what I'm called to do. So God, with these people, he allowed something bad to happen so that something good could happen. And, and today, God... <laughs> He has compassion on them. They, they cry out to him. And so he raises up this judge, this guy that's not quite a king, but he's sort of a ruler. He's kind of a general. And he picks, he selects a dude named Gideon. And if you were on, if you were on the, the, the court down at the park, you know, this wouldn't be the guy you'd pick for your team. But this is the guy God picks for his team, the angel of the Lord. And you'll recall last week we talked about the angel of the Lord. That's a, a Christophany, a pre-incarnation of Jesus. This is God being there. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Aberzite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it. From the Midianites. The Midianites were bad boys, 135,000 of them. They had camped nearby and they just started taking everybody's stuff. Now, something really interesting about Ophrah, the Oak and Ophrah, uh, it is situated in a very a topographical place where there's never a breeze. Ophrah is wind free. Uh, I didn't, uh, it's funny. Uh, that's really funny. Uh, I, come on, man. Uh, okay, all right. S- I know, it's funny. Man, I worked like three hours on that. So I did the topographical thing. That, that's what threw you off. It's a big word. Okay, okay. Now the next verse really is funny, but you're not going to get it. I don't think. But I want to point out something. Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. You know what a wine press is for? Yeah, it's not for threshing wheat. It's a hole in the ground, you, you really, the process of threshing wheat is you're trying to separate the kernel from the husk. That's what you're trying to do. And so if you're going to do that the way they did it, they would roll something heavy over it. Maybe they would have an ox pull a, a stone or a log over the, the, the sheaves of wheat, and they would separate the kernel from the husk. And then they would take this pitchfork, it's called a winnowing fork, and they would throw everything up in the air. And what you'd want is a place where there was a breeze. And the most likely place to have a breeze is on top of a hill, which is exposed, which people could see. There's a reason Gideon isn't threshing wheat the way everybody threshes wheat. And that's because he's scared out of his mind. He's a fraidy cat. He is, he is, he is stricken with fear. I mean, he's to thresh wheat in a wine press. Now, it wouldn't be very big, maybe as big as this. I mean, it's pretty small. He would be down in there, and he would be, 
he would be breaking the kernels apart. He would be breaking the, the sheaves apart one by one. It was perhaps one of the most cowardly of acts is to thresh wheat in a wine press. And yet, look at what God says to him. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. It's comical. It's like calling a, a young person Gramps or a University of Tennessee graduate smart. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. That's gold. Hey, where's Jeff? Uh, that's good. That's good stuff right there. That only took me two minutes. <laughs> Uh, I'm done. Uh, really, I, I've really, I've been waiting for that all week. Okay, so he is literally in hiding when, when the Lord calls him mighty warrior. It, it, it really is funny. He, he, is, he is really hiding. Now, there's a spark of something in him. He's got a little sass to him. I like this about him. He, he's a little bit sassy. Look at his response. Pardon me, my Lord. It's almost like, remember, anybody remember Steve Martin when he would go, pardon him, moi. Uh, it's kind of like that. Pardon me. Uh, pardon me, my Lord. I've got, I've got questions. Here's my question. Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, and he, he, this is dripping with sarcasm. I mean, it's like he has got a tood when he's saying this. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. Pardon me, but I don't think so. I'm not a mighty warrior. And not only that, but you're not a mighty God. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in this situation, but if you rent an apartment and um, something goes wrong, maybe the faucet begins to leak, and you contact the front office, and the front office says, I'm going to send the maintenance man, and maybe it takes a day or two for the maintenance man to get there. When the maintenance man shows up, you open the door, and you say, well, it's about time. How is that going to be received if you're the maintenance man? If I'm the maintenance man, I'm going to fake a call and go do something else. Because you're showing no appreciation. And here Gideon is saying, pardon me, buddy, but I don't think so. I'm not a mighty warrior, and the God that we have heard about certainly isn't mighty in our lives today. Now, there's a reason. Sometimes struggle, in fact, often, struggle makes us better. It gives us better insight. We grow. We grow spiritually from it. If you're into bodybuilding, uh, resistance is what... <laughs> well, I probably, obviously I'm not. Uh, but if you are, resistance is where you gained your strength. Uh, the other day I was reading Hamlet, uh, because I do, uh, you know. Uh, and uh, little Billy Shakespeare has a quote and he says, I must be cruel only to be kind. What other church today do you think is quoting Shakespeare? I think our new motto needs to be freedom, the sophisticated church. Uh, so sometimes there is kindness in trouble. 
And God allows trouble, and we learn through the trouble. And so here's what the angel says. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He is seeing something in Gideon that nobody else sees. In fact, if I'm God at this point, I'm going, okay. I tried with Gideon, and he is a smart aleck. Pardon me. You know, uh, he's a smart aleck. I, I suspect Gideon wasn't the only coward in Israel. He could have picked some other coward to have, <laughs> to have something great happen. But he's stuck in there. Here's what's interesting about Gideon. He sees God as impotent and distant. But God sees in him a mighty warrior. At the end of the service, we're going to kind of reflect, what is God saying to me? What, what would he say about me? What does he see in your life? I mean, Gideon, he, he didn't feel like a mighty warrior. Now, God reassures him, but not in the way we often do. See, our response would be, when Gideon said, uh, you know, I can't do it, uh, our response would be, oh, buddy, you can do it. You, you've got it within you. Follow your heart. Uh, you, you can do it. Uh, you've been preparing for this. But that's not what God does. In fact, the Lord said to him, go in the strength you have. The dude is threshing wheat in a wine press. How much strength does he have? If he had a scale of fear and faith... Fear is way up. Faith is way down. But the verse says, go in the strength you have. And today you might be saying, I don't have much faith. I've got a lot of fear. And the message to you is, go in the strength that you have. Because... Israel, he says, I will save Israel out of Midian. Uh, am I not sending you? Because we have someone who is sending you. Go in the strength that you have. And if I'm Gideon, I'm thinking to myself, who is he talking to? Because he has no strength. Have you ever had that? You ever felt like uh, somebody was talking to you and they really weren't? Uh, you're in the bathroom and the guy in the stall next to you starts talking and you go, yeah, buddy. And then you hear him say, hold on a minute. This guy thinks I'm talking to him. You ever had that? This is what I do. It's like, hold on a minute. This guy, you know, you kind of throw it back at him. All right. So Gideon had this moment of, is he talking to me? Who's he talking to? Because sometimes we just don't see. We don't see our potential. We all want to live the best self, best version of ourselves. But sometimes it takes someone speaking into our lives the truth of what we could become. Pardon me, he says again, and I think this time much less sarcastically. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, which, by the way, was the weakest tribe. I, I'm from the weakest clan, in the weakest tribe, in the weakest family, and I'm the weakest of the family. I'm the weakest of the weakest of the weakest of the weak. I'm the runtiest of the runts. 
There is nobody less qualified than me. There could be, there could be no one you could pick who has less qualifications to, to save Israel than I do. Now, sometimes we make excuses because we don't want to do what God has called us to do. I mean, Moses did it. Moses said, Lord, I can't speak very well. I can't even talk. <laughs> that hadn't kept any southern preacher ever from uh, anything. I can't even talk. That's a direct quote from Moses. Uh, that's what he said. I can't even talk. And yet, and yet, God somehow... Here's the point. The Lord often calls people who feel unqualified. In fact, if you're kind of too eager, maybe he doesn't want you. The Lord said, this is brilliant. I will be with you. It's not about you, dude. I'll be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites. The Midianites, again, bad boys. 135,000 strong. Next week, we're going to see this. We're going to carry our story into Gideon to next week. But next week, we're going to see Gideon had 32,000 soldiers against 135,000 soldiers. So he's doing the math. He's working the math. Right now, the best I can do is uh, negative odds, four to one. So Gideon is thinking, the best I could do would be one on four. And he says, I'll be with you. And you will destroy... (laughs) You'll destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Oh, it's not four to one. It's, it's, it's more. It's, it's one big God against, one big God against anybody is enough. The truth is, on our own, we're kind of not enough. But with God, we're always enough. It's always enough. This is a picture of D.L. Moody. He was kind of the Billy Graham of his day. Uh, He did evangelism uh, crusades in America and in England, but he sure didn't start out that way. He was born in Massachusetts. He he was, I think, one of nine kids, nine or 13. I can't remember now what the number was. He was one of uh, many kids. His dad died when he was young. In the fifth grade, he he stopped going to school. You could do that back then. He started to work. He uh, was from Massachusetts, and and so he had an uncle in Chicago who had a shoe store and gave him a job, I think at 17, 18, 19 years old. Pretty young. And the one stipulation his uncle said, you can come work for me, but you're going to go to church. And so Moody started going to church. And he went to church, and he went to Sunday school, and his Sunday school teacher, a guy named, uh, his last name was Kimball, came to the shop where he was selling shoes, and he said to, he led him to Christ. And Moody confessed his sin and gave his heart to Jesus. Moody's ambition up to this point was to make $100,000. That was kind of his mindset. He wanted to be, he was, he was great with people. He had a great business acumen. He wanted to be wealthy. And so he goes to church. He gets saved. He tries to join the church. And back then they had this interview process and they interviewed him and he didn't make the cut. And this is what one guy said about him. I can truly say that I have I've seen few people whose minds were spiritually darker than Mr. Moody's, who seems more likely 
uh, seems more unlikely ever to become a Christian of clear and decided views on the gospel. (laughs) This guy is not going to make it. And yet Moody kept going to church. Most people would say, well, you know, forget it. But he just kept going to church, kept going to Sunday school. He kept finding places to serve. A year later, they interviewed him again. He applied one more time. He applied and they interviewed him. And the second time it was like, well, it's not any better. You're not any brighter, but we can see you're committed. So they let him be a part of the church. Now, Moody was the kind of guy He didn't have to be out front. He worked with the YMCA back when the YMCA, their their strategy, what they were trying to accomplish was lead people to Christ. And so it's not the same today. And so Moody worked with them and he would would be a janitor. He'd do anything that they asked him to do. And there's a quote by Moody I really like. He said, there are many of us that are willing to do great things for the Lord, but few of us are willing to do little things. And Moody was willing to do anything. See, too many of us have this complex. We're not good enough for God to use. You're right. And yet, with God, you're good enough. On your own, we're not good enough. I'm not good enough. None of us are good enough. But with Christ, we're good enough. Rodney Dangerfield, that comedian, used to tell a story about going to the doctor, to the psychologist. And he said, Doc, I think I have an inferiority complex. The doc did this battery of tests. And he said, well, Mr. Dangerfield, I have good news and bad news. The good news is you don't have an inferiority complex. The bad news is you're inferior. Uh, you really are inferior. And so a lot of us have that. We, we sort of like, okay, well, we, we can't do it. Well, okay. But the I will be with you part is what changes everything. It changes everything. When, when I was in college, I'm glad you're sitting because I'm going I'm to share something about my life that you might not have suspected. When I was in college... I was a little mouthy. I'm glad you were sitting, Paul. Shocking. I don't know if you've been around mouthy people, but they have a tendency to get themselves in trouble. And so I went to Liberty University. First day of class, I met a dude named Paul. Paul was a Canadian, a wrestler. I don't know if being from Canada makes you a better wrestler, but he was one bad dude. He one time told me his spiritual gift was revenge. Uh, <laughs> that's the guy you want on your team, you know? And so when Paul was with me, guess what happened? Oh, I was mouthy. I was mouthier, uh, if that be possible. Because... <laughs> Who they gonna, they gonna mess with me? I got Paul. One time, a guy said to me, uh, he was mouthing me a little bit back, and, and Paul said, what, you got a problem? And the guy goes, I don't have a problem with you, I got a problem with him, pointing at me. And Paul said, well, if you got a problem with him, you got a problem with me. And the guy goes, I ain't got a problem. Uh, that was the guy, that was the guy <laughs> that you wanted. So when he says, I will be with you, This changes everything. When when God calls us to something, he wants us to be people who have confidence, not in ourselves. You don't have to have confidence in yourself. So, bless his heart. Gideon, bless his heart. You all know what that means. Uh, He doesn't (laughs) quite get it. So he asks for some 
I don't, confirmation. Now, God will confirm his will. The Lord said to him, I'll be with you. You're going to destroy the Midianites, just like they're one guy. And, and, and Gideon's like, okay, all right, so if now I've found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. <laughs> He's still saying, are you talking to me? And so he comes up with a plan. Okay, here's his strategy. He says, uh, if you will, save Israel by my hand, as you promise. Look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. Uh, if there is dew only on the fleece, but all the ground is dry, I'll know that you're going to save Israel by my hand. And God says, okay. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed out the fleece and wrung out uh, the dew, a bowl full of water, and all the ground was dry. Case closed, except not so much. Because Gideon is like, he's thinking, man, I like that he's a thinker. He's like, maybe it's the nature of a fleece to attract water. Maybe wool just kind of pulls the water in. So the best way to figure this out is, all right, let's do the reverse. And so that's what he says. Let's do the reverse. Gideon said to God, don't be, don't be angry with me because he is pushing it at this point. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry, the ground covered with dew. And that night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. And so... Sometimes you'll hear Christians use language. I'm going to lay out a fleece. How many times in Scripture did somebody lay out a fleece? Only, only Gideon. It's not like that's a prescription for how you challenge God to see if it's his will. In fact, Jesus said, i got a better plan. He said, when the Spirit of truth comes, when the Holy Spirit comes to live within you, he will guide you. So which, which is better? If... If you have to go someplace, is it better to have it on your GPS, on your phone, or to have somebody that knows where they're going as a guide in your car? Well, a guide is better than GPS. It's much better. I'm looking at GPS. Has, has anybody in here, show of hands, anybody in here made a wrong turn with their GPS? Everybody's made a wrong turn with their GPS. But if the guide is sitting there and he goes, okay, it's the second left, it's the next left, well, now if you mess up, it's really on you because he is telling you what to do, exactly what to do. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to do. He's here to guide us. I, I love this text. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I'll guide you with my eye. In some translations, I'll guide you with my loving eye. I'm a good Southern Baptist boy. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. And because I did, my mother sang in the choir. The choir was behind the preacher. Mama sat in the choir loft. I was a youth. I sat down here where David is. David Wave. Yeah, that's the youth right there. Looking youthy today, David. Okay. Anybody ever have a mama that sit in the choir loft? What does mama do in the choir loft? Does she uh, listen to the word of God being presented? Is her focus on the word of God? No. Her focus is right there. Now, 
I had friends who were uh, sketchy. <laughs> Mike Wilson, Bob McDaniel, I have them. Now, they would lead me into temptation. Never really my fault. Because, well, <laughs> uh, so, mama in the choir loft ignoring the word of God being preached. She would watch me. And if my rowdy friends would stir it up a little bit, and I, if I were to giggle, you know what mama would do? It's the, it, it was... <laughs> no joy. It was the look of, you better stop or you're going to pay. Uh, that, that was the look. Now, I think about this a little bit in that verse. But it, the, the translation really should be with my loving eyes. Mama's eyes weren't loving. I can tell you that. Uh, and she'll watch this. Mama, I love you now. Uh, but uh, it's something like this. Okay, so if you're married. I've been married a long time. Sometimes I'll go to a party or something. And, and Miriam and I will be there. And, and it'll be time. I'll, be, I'll get tired. And it'll be time to leave. And you all, if, you, if you've been married a while, you can just look at each other and you know the look. Just know the look. That's, that's on relationship. That's based on, I've been with them long enough. I know, I know what they're thinking. The Holy Spirit wants to lead us like that. One thing, one last thing. It's possible to miss God's leading. When the angel appeared to him, he said, uh, you are a mighty warrior. And Gideon... He didn't even recognize him as the angel of God. Maybe he didn't look angelly enough, you know? Maybe he wasn't bright enough. Maybe he didn't have any wings. I don't know. But he didn't strike Gideon as an angel. So he missed it until he didn't miss it. I think there are some keys if we want to really hear God's voice, especially in times of trouble. I don't think it's, it's an accident that Gideon was in a wine press by himself in a kind of a low spot. He was sort of focusing on maybe the Lord. He, he was by himself. He was alone. He was listening to God. He slowed down. And sometimes we just have to slow down. A few weeks ago, we had that service. And, and at the end of the service, it was different. The Holy Spirit was heavy on our room. Now, my, my tendency, when there's tension like that, my tendency is to do something funny, to say, try to say something funny. To, I want to break the tension. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. But I can tell you this. I, I, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was as close as I've ever heard. God said to me, you better not. It felt a lot like Mama in uh, the choir loft. Don't break the moment. Sometimes silence is the moment. And you have to be quiet. Every day when I drive to work from Traveler's Rest, it's about a 25-minute drive, I listen to books. I listen coming in, I listen going home, or I'll call somebody, I'll call my mom, whatever. But on Sunday mornings, I don't have anything on. And it's cool because it's early and nobody's in, there's no traffic. 
and I just drive, and I pray, and I think, and I'm quiet. And I don't know if you ever get quiet. Maybe that was such a powerful moment because we never experience it. It's like it's always busy. So he got quiet. And then you pray, you ask. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask. God, I don't know what to do. This is beyond me. I'm a little lost. And then you cleanse the sin. You say, Lord, if there's anything in me that's keeping me from hearing your voice, please, let's get rid of it right now. So let's end with this question. In the wine press of your fears, what is God saying about you? Is he calling you a man of honor? Maybe you're not doing honorable things, but you you could be a man of honor. Is he calling you a woman of virtue? Perhaps you're not being virtuous. It's not your current state he's speaking into. It's what can you be? What's the best version of yourself that he sees in you? Is he calling you faithful and true? Is he calling you honest? Is he calling you slow to anger? Is he calling you joyous, kind, loving? You might not feel that right now. You might not see it in yourself. The question isn't what do you see in yourself, but when you're quiet. What is God saying to you? What's the best version of you he sees in you? Father, thank you for this moment where we can think about you. That you see us differently than we see ourselves. That you love us differently than we love ourselves. I'm thankful, Father, that you see in us the, vet, the very best version of who we can be. And I pray, God, that you would speak it to us and help us to listen. I pray that for all my friends in this room right now, that you would speak a preferable future into their hearts and minds and that we would hear you clearly. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.